Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. Lots happening this week in the news, lots happening in the world, uh, lots happening that they don't put in the news, <laughs> because you can't trust the news anymore. And uh, the fact is, you know, you can go to all kinds of different news outlets and news channels, and you get one story from one, and you get another story from another, and it gets very difficult to find out what is the truth. But, of course, you can do the same thing by going to churches. You can go to one church and it tells you that you're saved just because you say these words, that you believe in Jesus Christ. And, of course, it is true that we are saved by a faith or a belief in Jesus Christ. But it has to be the real Christ, because even Christ said that there would be, and the apostles warned us also, that there would be many false Christs, false images of Christ that would be presented to us that would uh, deceive us, deceive many. If Christ talks about many shall think they are Christians, that they are followers of his, boast of what they have done, believing in themselves that they are not liars, that they actually believe in Christ. And he will say to them, get ye from me, I know you not. How do we know that we are not one of those deceived believers who think we believe in Christ when we are actually workers of iniquity? And that's kind of the name of the game, I guess, is to find out, do we really believe do we believe in the real Jesus? And of course the Bible give us, gives us lots of guidance on whether or not we are real believers in the real Jesus. And uh, James does it, Paul does it, you know, that if we're doing these things over here, we're not believers. In, and, and the people who are doing those things over here, and these long lists that Paul gives us and, and the more general list that James gives us, we should have nothing to do with those people that are doing these things. Which includes, you know, covetous practices, etc. Which Peter also talks about. That through covetous practices, we would curse our children. And that we ourselves would become merchandise through these covetous practices. Of generation after generation of these covetous practices. What is a covetous practice? Well, it's desiring something for our benefit at the expense of others and not really caring how we get it. And we may get it by violating the Ten Commandments. And we're not saved because we keep the Ten Commandments. We're not saved by works. But works are evidence that we're not really saved. Or or they might be evidence that we are really saved. Depending on what works we're talking about. Well, covetous practices is not one of those works that gives evidence that we are saved, but it actually gives evidence that we are not saved. That we are under a strong delusion, which the Bible also talks about. 
And we have articles all over at Preparing You, and I want to actually start moving a lot of these articles over to uh, His Holy Church in, in PDF format so that people can uh, print them out easily and look at them and study them and share them with others and share the information that is in them with others. A lot of people don't, oh, I don't want to bring that up because it's it's so controversial, you know. I mean, somebody might get upset if I bring these things up. And uh, we, don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to talk about that because it's so upsetting. Well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the truth? Why is the truth upsetting? If the truth is upsetting, that's a good reason to bring it up. Because upsetting the lie is what Christianity should be all about. Now, there's lots of different ways to do that. One is to live an actual Christian life. Most of the people out there today that are calling themselves Christians are actually doing contrary to, to the decrees of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's Christ because he was anointed. He was anointed by God and man. But, uh, you know, he did make certain decrees. He, he, he did command that we do certain things. He directed his apostles to do certain things and to not do certain things. And I don't see people claiming to be the ministers of Christ doing those things. And we, so if you just tell them they're not doing what Christ said, they, there's a cognitive dissonance in their minds that will, because of the delusion that they think they are followers of Christ. I mean, obviously, when Jesus says, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity, that's going to be quite a shocker to them because they weren't expecting that because they really believed that they were followers of Christ. But isn't it part of our mission to tell them, no, you're headed for a cliff. You're headed for rejection by Christ. You're headed for destruction. You're headed for uh, decimation of the human population uh, spiritually, which will ultimately lead to a decimation of the human population physically. And we actually are seeing that kind of thing going on now. You know, during during the COVID shutdowns, which I guess in a lot of places are still going on, there was a huge rise in deaths for certain reasons and purposes. There really wasn't a rise. During the height of the pandemic, if you looked out, there was not an increase in actual numbers of death that were very significant. So what was the deal? Well, everybody who would normally die of flu and old folks' homes and... Uh, and people with uh, two or more morbidities who would normally die every year from flu, which is usually anywhere between thirty and 80,000 people, they would, it wouldn't be attributed to flu. It would be attributed to those other morbidities. That's normally the way they counted them. So, you know, if you look back in history, there were numerous years where we had 30,000, 35,000, 40,000 people die of whatever common flu was going around at that particular time. Usually every year, several different flu strains traveled through the population. Now, some people might be turning me off already because 
They say, well, he actually believes that people can catch the flu. Well, I believe in cell theory. I also believe in germ theory because both have elements of the truth. As they're presented, they're both wrong at times and uh, misunderstood at times. But they're both right at times because I believe there are cells and I believe there are germs and there are viruses and I think that things can be contagious. But yeah, I also believe that the key to health is what cell theory says, which is you have to improve the landscape, the health of the individual. We know that has got to be true because people that were overweight, which is not healthy, uh, people who were severely diabetic i mean there's lots of different kinds of diabetics they were they were ripe for dying from whatever flu was traveling around every year this is always the case they are more likely to get sick because of the what they call morbidities the other unhealthy conditions that are in their body now if uh, I and an old guy were loading lambs yesterday, and he was 74, and I'm 73, <laughs> and uh, we were both hot at it in there, grabbing sheep and moving them around and getting them to go up uh, the ramp, and uh, yeah, although he's, he's rather bent over and stooped now, he's actually a pretty energetic guy. He's, he's going all the time. Um, and so, but that age is a morbidity. I know lots of people who are in their 70s, even in their 60s, and their health is very poor for somebody that those ages which are younger than us. And it may be because of other things. It may be because of genetics, whatever. But they were, they have other health problems that will make them more vulnerable to a variety of problems in their life. And so, anyway, you uh, these people that are more vulnerable, they you have to be careful about the testing of their physical ability. When I worked in a convalescent home over half a century ago, uh, every cold and flu season come by, old people would get the same symptoms and they would die. Now, some people say this is spiritual. Some people say that you can't, you know, it's not a germ, but they're kind of in denial of germ. Or germ, I'm going to include as both bacterial and viral, although viruses and bacteria are completely different. And somebody was telling me the other day that, you know, no such thing as a virus. Well, all a virus is is an exosome that causes, because it's replicated in your body, it causes a toxic event in your body because your body is replicating something that it should not be replicating and, and it's an exosome that you should not be replicating but your body is replicating it and you show these symptoms as your body tries to correct this error in your body because your body makes errors all the time if you think your body doesn't make errors you are an error because your body is it, it's not just chemistry there's a lot of chemistry going on, and that's for sure. But it's one of the most complicated chemistry uh, manufacturers on the face of the earth. Everybody's body goes through manufacturing. We've talked about this, hormones and and uh, 
exosomes and all these things that your body is producing. Uh, your body produces antibiotics uh, in the form of antibodies. Nat- what's our natural antibiotics? That's one of the therapies that some doctors are using is they're taking the natural antibodies that are produced inside somebody who's got sick and got better and they're get, putting them into other people and they're finding success. Well, why aren't those other people producing those antibodies? <laughs> because we all have the mechanisms. It's because that bodies, our bodies will make mistakes. I mean, we have cancer cells developing in our bodies all the time. Uh, we have uh, organs in our body that uh, may be damaged. And, you know, we have several filtering organs. Liver is a filtering organ. The, the, the body is a filtering organ. Uh, when you are exposed to toxins, external toxins uh, in your environment, arsenic, uh, there were lots and lots of people who got arsenic poisoning in uh, France uh, during a particular period. And they discovered it was because of green wallpaper. <laughs> Why was green wallpaper causing people to have a toxic effect? Well, the green, in order, they found a process where they used arsenic to make the green richer and stay longer in the wallpaper. And so they used the arsenic to make the wallpaper green, the patterns on the wallpaper. And wallpaper was not just for looks in those days, it actually kept the air out, kind of like what we do with Tyvek now when we wrap a house with Tyvek. It's a vapor barrier to keep air from filtering through the cracks of the wood, although now we're often building with 4 by 8 sheets of uh, uh, OSB or something. In those days, they were using boards and there were lots of cracks and wood would dry out and air would leak through and in order to stop that, they would put up wallpaper on the interior of the house to keep that air from you know, the draft from coming right through the wall. They actually made, you know, more expensive homes. They made with tongue and groove paneling to lock out that air seeping through. And uh, there are all kinds of different techniques. The poor people were using wattle and mud or, or what have you to keep that the elements out of their house. But anyway, that wallpaper would give off in the so- form of fumes in a house for long periods of time small, tiny, tiny little amounts of arsenic. And people would breathe them in. And arsenic has a toxic effect in the body. Now, the body will produce uh, systems, exosome systems that will actually start depleting the body of this arsenic. And it will filter out, but if it filters out too much to the liver, it's toxic to the cells of the liver. So what the body actually does is it starts pushing that toxicity out through the skin, which is another filter. And what happens is it comes out through the hair follicles and your hair starts to fall off of your hands, starts coming out of your head. This is a symptom that your body is shedding some sort of toxicity that's coming in from somewhere. In this case, it was arsenic that was coming from your wallpaper that you were breathing in. And their fingernails would become first unhealthy looking and then eventually they would actually get so bad it start to fall off. And your hair would, your fingernails are hair follicles put together. So 
people realized that something was going on and somebody made the association that all these people that are having this problem, this what they thought was some sort of disease, not even knowing where it was coming from, somebody noticed that the people who stayed home all the time in houses filled with green wallpaper <laughs> were getting this sickness. And they realized that it's something in the wallpaper. Was it the color green? Was it something else? Well, they knew arsenic could be toxic. They used arsenic for all kinds of things. And so somebody put two and two together. So this was a an effect on the body caused by something that we thought was going to actually make life better. And it actually made, for some people, life worse. And somebody figured it out. And today we have lots of people thinking that certain things will make their life better. Will make themselves, make them more comfortable, make them safer. And it actually may bring with it a toxin that actually will be destructive. This goes on all the time. Throughout history we see all kinds of evidence of this. So, yes, you can get sick. You can get a germ. Now, the body has mechanisms to protect you and to get rid of these toxins when they're in there. But they can be overwhelmed. And older people, weaker people are more susceptible. Their body may not get rid of these problems. Uh, you know, some people have a robust immune system. Some people don't. And with age, a lot of that goes down, which is why we often protect our elderly. But there's something else go on when we're protecting our elderly or our young. A young child. You know, you're not supposed to drink or smoke while you're pregnant when there's a child in your womb. Why? Because we know that it will have a toxic effect on the baby. It will cause damage. We Trial and error has shown us that it will do that. Yet some people persist. And do it, they, they, they not only smoke and drink, they will take hard drugs during their pregnancy. And we know that creates another whole scenario of damage. And we can look at these extreme cases and say, well, that's bad. But what about the more subtle cases? Right now we look out in the world and the world seems to have gotten a little crazy. And uh, a lot of people think the vaccination is their solution. If we all got vaccinated, of course, a few months ago, if we all wore masks, this would all go away in a couple of months. And, uh, well, we were actually told at first, I guess, if we just do it for a couple of weeks, we'll flatten the curve, you know, the, the famous curve that of hospitalizations and everything. Now we're going to flatten the curve on hospital entries because we're going to close down hospitals because... They're going to lay off tens of thousands of hospital workers um, because they won't get a vaccination. And uh, the the fellow who loaded sheep with me the other day, the 74-year-old guy, we got to talking about just as we were loading up and getting the last of everything buttoned up and shut up. And he wanted some direction. Somebody, another sheepman called him and he was going to go by and look at some sheep. And... Uh, I was giving him instructions as to where this guy lives, and we got and he wanted to give me plums from the tree handpicked by his son. You know, this is the kind of guy he is, and uh, just a generous, uh, hardworking whole family, hardworking people. And uh, I don't even know what I'm going to get for the price for the lambs, 
people keep asking, well, what are you going to get? Well, I know he'll give me a good price. In the years past, he's quoted a price. And then after he saw the lambs and got them back, he gave me a higher price than what I thought I was going to get. Because <laughs> he, so quoting it isn't as important as the honor and the guy. But anyway, he said he's not going anywhere near the COVID shot. And I thought, like, well, this guy is working out with sheep in the field all the time. Why? And he's old. And so why is he? And his daughter is a research nurse in a major uh, research facility and hospital here in Oregon. And early on, she sent him all kinds of information not to get the shot. <laughs> she She's a medical person. A researcher right in the heart of figuring out what's going on. And she's saying don't get it. But the head of uh, Oregon Health Authority, uh, which includes uh, a former employee of the Fish and Wildlife and uh, and a pediatrician, um, they say we do get it. And they're both Democrats. And, of course, the Democrat governor, who originally became governor because they were appointed and then for other reasons, they supposedly, I don't really consider her governor because I've seen them breaking laws that would say that they're not governor. Um, but they say everybody should get it. And of course, six months ago, everybody in government was saying we will not mandate shots. They actually said they would not even mandate masks. What they're doing is getting the people to mandate this because the people are firing their employees because they won't get the shot. And we're looking at tens of thousands of people losing their jobs because they won't get the shot. Now, why aren't they getting the shot? Well, this this is one of the amazing things that I see. Something is telling these people they don't have medical backgrounds. They've gotten all the other vaccines and something is just telling them no, not. Maybe it's because they're pushing it on them and there's a natural reaction. Uh, but they have no logical reason. They just, they will lose their job rather than get the shot. Now I know other people that was a nurse, local nurse, daughter of somebody we know, uh, secretly went and got the shot. People in her family were saying no. They had already seen this turning away from the idea that this shot might not be good. But she feared that she might end up losing her job, so she secretly went down and got it, and she ended up in intensive care not long afterwards. Now, fortunately, she has gotten better. She's not well yet, but she has been able to go back home. But uh, I don't have the details on what she did to get better, but she was that was touch and go there for a while. I think was was it her that had the oxygen levels down to like 35? That's that's terribly low. Uh, I don't know. I hear so many cases. I I know so many people now. Like I said before, I didn't know personally in my circle anybody who died of COVID, but I know now many people that got the vaccination and died suddenly of heart attacks or had heart problems or had blood clotting problems or severe changes in in their health. Uh, what's going on? Well, what's the solution? That's really the conversation we need to have. And we'll do that when we come back. 
So what is the solution to all the craziness that's going on in the world where they are actually forcing people to get a vaccination for a disease that has a 99% survival rate and the, the death rate is only amongst people that already have numerous health issues and is really not much more severe than the actual flu viruses that come around supposedly every year and... uh but now seems to be becoming more uh, lethal, the, the, the new strains that are coming out, which is really unusual. Anybody who has studied virology or epidemiology uh, knows that uh, the strains that are normally mutating, uh, that they say are mutating from some new virus that it comes along, uh, they're usually weaker unless... Uh, less prevalent in society because the natural immunity usually gives that you got with previous uh, strains will give you immunity to the new strains. They give most people immunity to the new strains. And uh, I, I don't know if it's always new strains or just they think it's a new strain because it's so weak. They think it's a different strain, so they call it a different strain because now they see it going through, but it seems so weak. Well, it may be so weak because people already have partial immunity. Because your immune, some immune systems <laughs> rev up like a like a uh, you know a powerful machinery, and uh, it just stops things before they even happen. And people never even develop symptoms. But other people's immune systems are slower to kick in, or slower to function, etc. And so they. They get a little sick, and then other people get real sick before they start getting better and require intervention to help them uh, get through whatever it is that's going on in them. Most of what you see as symptoms is simply your body trying to repair itself, flushing out the toxins that are there. And the faster it does it, the you know, or the longer it takes before it starts to do it, the, often the greater the symptoms. Several things can cause greater symptoms. And it's the symptoms that people die of, so that's important. But Second Corinthians 3.5, or 3.6, let's read 3.6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So, Truth is, is that your body, your physical body, is extremely subject to whatever spirit dwelleth in you. We know your body is subject to emotions. If you're angry, if you're afraid, if you're upset, if you're uh, anxious, all these things will cause your body to function poorly. You will be less healthy if you're operating in these other emotional states that, you know, the, the laughter is the best medicine, that, you know, happy attitudes and uh, uh, c- courage and all these things add to your immunity system that keeps you healthy, protects you, and protects your body and protects your growth. They, they've seen where... Uh, children in families that are all tore apart, that they they actually are less healthy. The children are less healthy. 
because emotion has an effect. But spirit is not emotion. Spirit is something else. And the spirit of love giveth life. The spirit of hate, well, that's that's another thing altogether. Something different, something separate. Somebody sent me a, a thing on a local group. Uh, he says, we can choose to end hate by no longer teaching it. I don't know who he thinks is teaching hate because I actually have seen some people talking about uh, they think some things are hate and they're actually the ones that are teaching hate. I mean, the, the phenomenon with, uh, you know, uh, Trump was just shocking. The amount of hatred and uh, anger that people had towards Trump was just astounding. It was fed by the media that uh, that we actually found our, I found myself occasionally defending him and his family. I mean, they they went after his whole family. Uh, they just just you know we we joked about the fact that people would meet certain people who just hated hated Trump would meet every week and talk about how much they hated Trump. <laughs> in the restaurant talk about how much they hated Trump uh, it just became almost a pastime and uh, you know now now we've switched and uh, the other side is supposed to hate Biden and I'm telling people that no you're not supposed to hate your enemy you're supposed to love your enemy and I, I spoke to people just last night about the fact that you know uh, you know this is what we see Evil wants you to hate because it weakens you. It weakens you emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Because hate is judgment. You're judging others. Now, I just put up a new page on canon law. You know, I've written a lot of pages on common law, on uh, civil law, uh, different kinds of law. Well, there's this thing called canon law. And I've, I've written a page on canon law now. And canon law, they have, I mean, the kind of the Latin for canon law is jus canonicum, which is Latin for basically canon law. And there's, we've talked about it before, there's at least two words in Latin, jus and lex legis, jus juris and lex legis. Jus juris is, is one word, it's just in different cases. And lex legis is another word, and they're both translated law. But they mean something quite different, but they're related to either law or a legal system. Jus is what is just, right, and fair, which has nothing to do with statutes, has nothing to do with uh, rules and regulations necessarily. It has to do with what is actually just, right, and fair. And common law is supposedly interested in what is just, right, and fair. Legal systems, like civil law, and civil law is a broad, you know, and includes equity and all kinds of other things. Uh, even maritime law, it includes all those things. Because civil law is the law that men make for themselves. Now, good men will make somewhat good laws that will reflect the juice juris of the world. But legal systems are made within an existing system of law that is created in the universe when the universe is created. At least that's the theory. That's the way they talk about these things. 
But canon law, this jus uh, canocum uh, in the Latin is actually from a Greek word. And uh, so then you have to kind of go over and look at, you know, the Greek word and find out what that means. What, what, what Greek word are they talking about that uh, is translated into canon? Or what we uh, actually is not translated. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, what you would call K-A-N-O-N in the Greek using English alphabet rather than the Greek alphabet. But those are the corresponding letters. It means straight measuring rod. That's what a canon is. A straight measuring rod. It's not a law. and But that's what canon comes from. We call it canon law, but, uh, and, and churches have the thing they call canon law, and I won't go into the whole thing, but I mean, some churches have, uh, almost 2,000 canon laws. Well, all of, all a canon is, is something that measures. It's kind of telling you what's straight, like a plumb bob. It's telling you what is straight and it may have a way of measuring length and height. And so it's just, it's just a way of reckoning is this straight. And we know the way to the kingdom of God is straight. We know it's narrow because that's what the scripture tells us. So are we measuring? Is canon law supposed to be a, some sort of measuring device to find out whether or not we're on the straight and narrow? Are we going, is it telling that we're off? And of course, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, you've got those are really not ten laws; they are ten guidelines. And because if they were laws, what's the penalties? They would be telling us the penalties if you do this, then the penalty is that. But what they're talking about is, you know, if you go this way, if you're doing, if you're not honoring, taking care of your parents, your days may not be long upon the land. If you're enjoying things before you paid for them, which is what the Sabbath is all about, that you you enjoy things and then you have to go and work for them because you didn't work for them first and then then enjoy them, you enjoyed them and now you have to pay for them. The Sabbath is about debt. It's not about a day, it's about a way. Making covenants with men who will decide good and evil for you, that's the... Making covenants with other gods. Because those gods, those small g gods, are going to decide what is good and evil for you. So if you're doing that, then you're outside of the parameters, the guidelines of the Ten Commandments. And we have uh, pages that explain each one of these Ten Commandments to kill. If you were manufacturing French wallpaper (laughs) that we talked about at the beginning (laughs) with arsenic, and you heard that this arsenic was killing old people who were, you know, homebound. And that uh, people who lived in a house that had this, you know, in the, especially in the rooms that had this green wallpaper, because it was expensive. So this was actually a plague amongst the wealthy. And the reason they discovered it is that they were getting sick and there were doctors who were going to these houses. Now, they didn't stay in them long enough for them to get sick. Because they they breathe in a little bit of arsenic, but then, you know, a little bit of arsenic actually is, could be good for you. But a little too much is really bad for you. It becomes toxic 
first to the hair follicles in many people, but then to other parts of your body. And they were seeing all these people coming down with these maladies and somebody noticed that it was all the people who had this green wallpaper. So once you found out that you were killing people with your wallpaper, did you, because they knew what toxicity would come from arsenic, because it had been used in other processes. Gold mining used arsenic and lots of other people used arsenic. And they knew that if you get too much of it on you, your fingernails would start to fall off. And so they avoided that. Just trial and error taught them that. So now you're a wallpaper manufacturer. You know you're using arsenic in your wallpaper. You know it's causing ill effect in people, but you're going to continue pushing your wallpaper. Go, well, I got a bunch for sale. I still got to sell it to somebody. I'll lose all kinds of money on it. Well, now you're a murderer. You're going to injure those people. You know that it's causing a toxic effect now. There's ample evidence. Everybody you sold it to is getting sick. At least the people who stay in the house all the time are getting sick. And you know that it's exactly the same symptoms as arsenic poisoning because they knew what that would look like. And so, but you still want to sell your wallpaper. You know, Bayer, one of the, the big pharmaceutical businesses, did exactly that. The, the, some of their products were banned because they knew they were causing trouble. And they kept selling them somewhere else. So they just shipped them to some place that didn't ban it. They knew it was going to injure people, but they shipped it to someone else. You know, we had a case out here where Bear had uh, dumped all kinds of, well, they were responsible for the dumping of all kinds of toxic waste out here in our county. And they were trying to get the government to take over responsibility for it. And uh, and uh, I wrote a letter when they were opened it up to public comments. And it caused, the, it stopped the government for taking over that responsibility. The letter was so well received by people who are fighting this in other parts of the world, because Bear has done this in other parts of the world, that I got a call from somebody in Germany who wanted to translate my letter into English because they were fighting the same corporation over there in Germany on, on similar situation. And uh, so then it went into their court case. Well, now we have court cases all over the world that are complaining about this vaccination. They're saying it's causing more harm. And the evidence is there. I mean, I'm a sheep herder out in the wilderness, and I was seeing it right off. Now I've we've posted a page, you know, numerous scientists. You can look it up. Just look for that at Preparing You, and you can... See, and this is just a fraction of the studies that are out there. Some of them aren't peer-reviewed yet because it's it's happening so fast. But, you know, they polled the swine flu vaccination with 25 deaths. We're getting 70 deaths reported a day. My son, who's actually going down to Lakeview right now, is going to give a speech for the whole county dealing with this health issue because he's considered by law to be the chief health officer for the county, you know, by by Oregon uh, statute and even by the Constitution of Oregon, that it's the county commissioners that are the chief science officers in your 
County. Now, they can't, you know, I mean, just to give you an idea, the chief health officer in Boston, uh, back, I think it was Boston, it could have been for Virginia, but I think it was a local municipality, because that's usually the way it's handled, back in 1700s, was Paul Revere. <laughs> That's right, he was elected. Now, he he wasn't going around making mask mandates or any of that stuff. But he was looking at things that might be being done in the county that was causing poor health. That was causing injury. And, of course, you know, if you found out that manufacturers were making wallpaper all over the county... Uh, that was making people sick, you would bring it to him and it was his job to bring it to everybody else to let them notify. It was part of their system of communication. Because uh, he doesn't hold an executive position. County commissioner is not an executive position. It's an oversight position. Uh, which is different than a lot of the other positions that you have. Now, originally, you know, in America, that your legislature were titular they couldn't make any law except by the consent of the free man. The president could not make any law except, and he couldn't make any law, but he couldn't even execute a law because the president is an executive position. But he couldn't execute any law unless they had the consent of the free man. Unless it was some sort of activity that was regulated by the government, which was almost none. There were almost no federal laws for the first hundred years of America. Uh, and the first executive order was, for George Washington was to order dishes for the, you know, for giving state dinners to Frenchmen <laughs> and other uh, diplomats who might come. They had to feed them and so they needed some plates and cups and stuff so he made an executive order that they needed to order some dishes. So that was what executive orders were used for. Now, you know, since uh, and we reported on this back in the day when uh, we had a president who thought that he was the supreme moral authority in America. Now, which, which president was that? They wrote that in an executive order that the president was the supreme moral authority in America. Can you guess what president signed an executive order stating that? Well, Bill Clinton. <laughs> so anyway, but we, how quickly we do forget. We, or most of us wouldn't even know because you're watching the wrong people for your news. But the church knows these things because God knows these things. And I work for God. And so God lets me know these things. And I try to let you know these things. But just to talk to you about them is, is very difficult because of what you already think you know. And that's what uh, my son was battling with when he was putting together notes for his speech. And uh, I talked to him just briefly before he went out the door. He wanted me to read the speech before he left. Uh, but it just wasn't time. And... Uh, because he's he, he's probably going to speak by the time this program or he, shortly after this program is over, but we, I I told him the thoughts that were coming to me last night when I was writing these pages on canon and law, what canon law really is, 
you can go read it at Preparing You. It's not entirely finished. But uh, it uh, it's basically a lot of notes that I have uh, over the years on the on the subject. And I just kind of put it together really quick. But uh, it's at PreparingYou.com. A lot of things are there. But it's not what most people would think. Because uh, you, you mentioned canon, they're thinking the church. You mentioned law, and they're thinking a legal system that exercises authority one over the other. Well, the church is forbidden to exercise authority one over the other by Christ, who is the authority by which the church was created and established. He's still today in the legal dictionary. They have almost no definition anywhere in the government for what a church is because they don't have the right to define it. But there is a definition in the legal dictionary and the church was established by Jesus Christ. It wasn't established by Constantine. It was established by Jesus Christ. If it was incorporated by Constantine, all other previous incorporation is null and void as if it never happened. So the church always must say that they were established and legalized by the blood of Jesus Christ. And any attempt by any group that says they're the church to reestablish themselves under some other authority by making a contract, covenant, or constitution with another authority ends, terminates the incorporation of Christ. Now that's the legality of it, but we know the Spirit giveth life. So, turning back to the Spirit of Christ is key. So, if you want to know what canon law consists of, it has to consist of the Spirit of Christ. Because the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of God, which we reference as the Holy Spirit that comes to us. It's our anointing with the Holy Spirit that allows us to see what would be the canon law, the straight and narrow way of Christ. Unfortunately, many of the denominations of the world, of the churches of the world, are not really following the character of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the name of Christ. They don't even come in the name of Christ. They think they do. But of course, like I said, Christ said many would come and would know him not. In the, I added a few Bible quotes about, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock this morning. Uh, in this thing as I was going down and reading and finding out what, trying to express to you what canon law really is. Because it's not rules and regulations for you like the statutes of men. It's, it's an attempt, uh, by some people to write down their opinion of what they think God's opinion is. But what makes it canon law has to be the opinion of God. And they, you know, like one church, like I said, has 1,752 canon laws. There are other churches that have over 2,000 canon laws. And uh, I haven't read them all. I've, I've read the 1,752 <laughs> years and years ago. I skimmed through them. And, uh, and, some, I, and there's a lot of truth mixed in there, but it also depends on how you how you interpret them. Because some churches have bishops enforcing the canon law. Well that would be exercising authority one over the other and you're not to do that. You know, when 
you know, we've, I've written a letter, I put it to the ministers, individual ministers would have to choose to sign it or not, because I can't exercise authority one over the other, because the living stones of the altar of Christ are unhewn, just like the living stones of the altar of Moses were unhewn, and the living stones of the altar of Abraham were unhewn, uh, I can't be hewing them. But I wrote this letter concerning people who want to get a religious exemption uh, after reading what other churches are writing. My letter is not the same as theirs. Why? Uh, because His Holy Church is, is a product of God, not of me. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, on that page on canon law, which I actually fixed a couple of typos just during the break. <laughs> so, like I said, it's a work in progress. But, uh, so, canonical uh, form. So, this canonical, for, uh, mechanical form of the law is actually found in the spirit of the law. It's not found in the form. It's not a statute. It's not a regulation. It's uh, not something that hews your right to choose. It is a somebody's measure written down of how the law should be applied. And basically, that's what the statutes of Moses were. The statute of Moses was a form of canonical law. Uh, because it wasn't actually statutes in the sense of codification. He was trying to explain how you would apply the Ten Commandments in your life. And unfortunately, most people who read the Statutes of Moses don't understand what they're reading. They don't understand the implication or, therefore, the application of those statutes. Their desire to judge others and regulate others and control others uh, is turns the Statutes of Moses into a civil authority. And that's not what it was supposed to be. It was more along the line of a canonical expression of how to apply the Ten Commandments. I mean, how many of you if, that are, have not listened that have not listened to us over the years knew that the Sabbath was about staying out of debt? that you keep the Sabbath holy, the seventh day holy, by what you do the first six days of the week. And so that the last day of the week, the Sabbath, you can, you've can you earned your rest because you did your work. If you're borrowing money against the future, you're doing the opposite of what the Sabbath is about. And if you were really Sabbath keepers, your nation would not be in debt, you would not be in debt, your children would not be in debt, but... That's not the case. You've cursed your children with covetous practices because you've not only desired benefits at the expense of your neighbor, but you've borrowed money against the future to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars. You've allowed men to have the power to borrow that money in your name because you've made covenants with them. Another violation of the straight and narrow way that the Ten Commandments were trying to show you. And so, we have a problem. So, you know, I, like I said, I, I put a few Bible quotes in 
this to, to try to bring people up to speed to understand this. And if you read it and there still have questions, ask them on the network, and I it will help me hone this article so that people can understand it. But there are so many articles there that people should be reading and studying on a regular basis so that they get a clearer picture. But John eight forty four says, "Ye are of your father the devil." And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Well, we've seen what is coming today in uh, what we're seeing today in the world, in the news. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people have been displaced because of the shutdown. Now, hundreds of thousands of more will be displaced or injected, including the, you know, they have the, you know, I've seen the people posting nurses where heroes have gone to zero. They're losing their jobs by the thousands because they're being forced to take a vaccination that they that that they don't believe in, and that there's a great deal of evidence that there's serious, 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 serious problems. And that evidence is coming from the top medical and scientific community, but you're not hearing about it because your mountains of Samaria, which we've talked about before. If you don't know, go back. All our old recordings are available and everything. Uh, the mountains in our study of the prophets. And we're going to, this should really be a part of the study of Nahum. Because we're preparing you to understand what Nahum is really about. And with each of these prophets that we look at, we want to go into them in greater, greater depth. So that you can begin to understand what is being said in the text. Because you can't just read the Bible under its present condition and understand it. Uh, especially under your present condition. Now with the absolute power of the Holy Spirit, you could understand it. But there are so many lies out there and fathers of lies that have been speaking in your ear for so long, you may not understand it. I just spotted another typo. <laughs> but anyway, uh We'll get to that and fix that eventually. But uh, another quote that I slip in there when I'm talking about uh, any instances where the canonical form deviates from the known will or commandments of God, which those commandments of God are the guidelines that he's trying to tell you that if you step outside this this straight and narrow way, bad things are going to happen. Because of what we're going to talk about in Nahum is the cause and effect. God is a cause and effect. He's built into creation this cause and effect. And the Ten Commandments are trying to tell you that if you step out of this, this pathway, this straight and narrow path, that bad things will happen. Bad things are happening today because we stepped out of that path decades ago. Literally generations ago. We began to step out of that that way. This is not the result of an election that took place in the last four years or the last eight years or the last 20 years. 
This is because in the last hundred years especially, but even in the last thousand years, we have been straying from the way, the straight and narrow way of Christ. And one of the chief perpetrators of that strain is false religion, false Christ, false claims about Christ in order to build a house of a strong delusion. That's a, that's a huge accusation on my part. Can I back that up? Well, First John 2, 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. So who's not keeping the commandments? We're going back. See, this is all tied together. Go back to James. By their works you shall know them. Are any of the ministers you looking to to be your Samaria, your, your mountain of truth, to help you with your unbelief? Are any of them in violation of the Ten Commandments? Or any of the commandments of Christ? Because Christ, he commanded a few things. He, he clearly directed a few things. These are the men who do contrary to the decrees of Caesar because they say there is another king, one Jesus. So evidently they're following the decrees of Jesus. So how many of your pastors, ministers, and your churches are following the decrees of Jesus Christ? What he commanded, what he directed his apostles to do, what he directed his called out, that's what church means, the called out. Called out of what? Called out of the world. They were not to be of the world. What word do we see there that is translated world in the Greek text? It means constitutional order and system of government because the church is not a part of the governments of the world. It's a government unto itself. And the church is a called out group to be this separate government that does not exercise authority one over the other, but shows people how to live by faith, hope, and charity. So we see pure religion that they talked about right there. Same apostles. Same James and and, and Paul talking about pure religion, which is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, unspotted by that world that they were not a part of. That's right, they were not a part of that world. And people say, well, Paul was a Roman citizen. Really? Is that what the text says? Well, the your translation of the text, but that that word that he's using there, changed in its definition over a period of several hundred years. Eventually, all Christians were referred to as Romeos. Even the ones in Constantinople were called Romeos. Why? Does that mean they were Roman citizens? But they were from these other countries. Some of them were foreigners even beyond that. Some of the, the ones outside of the Roman Empire were called Romeos. Because the word doesn't mean Roman citizen. It means in possession of your rights. You could, a Roman citizen was not Romeos. And we know that right from the biblical text without even the other texts outside. It's just, it's, it's just obvious. Because the head cohort, the head of the cohort, all, all centurions were given Roman citizenship. But the head of the cohort, he didn't have this Romeo status. 
he had to pay a great sum. That's what it says in the text to get this status of Romeos. So that's not just a Roman citizen. It's something else. And Paul was that. It's because Paul was not of the world. And he was not of the world of Rome as a Roman citizen. He could not be tried in their statutory courts. Their administrative courts. He could not be tried in that. And that's why they had to untie him. They were about to, you know, question him. And the Romans questioned you with a whip sometimes. (laughs) They're a pretty rough bunch. And uh, their statutes allowed that. But they couldn't do that to Paul because he was not of their world. He was Romeos. He was separate from birth. Now, some of the apostles were Romeos before they became the apostles of Christ. But they, it was simply because they lived in Judea and they were idiotes. That's what they say. They say they were idiotes. That's the Greek word that we see there in the text. But if you don't know that idiotes means unregistered, you might think that they were unlearned. But they weren't unlearned. They were unregistered. That's the meaning of the word. And, uh, you know, some people thought that people that would not register for the benefits of the Pharisees that were provided through the temple, through a system of Corbin, that Jesus said was making the word of God to none effect, but the Pharisees said was a good thing. If you didn't register, you couldn't get those benefits. If you couldn't get those benefits, you were called idiotes, unregistered. Eventually, people who would not register for such benefits were called idiots. Taking it from the word idiotis, the Greek word idiotis. <laughs> That's just, you can look these things up. I'm not making them up. We have articles on. But uh, the fact is, is there are people who are saying that certain things are okay. It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods if you do it through government. It's not okay. Was it okay then? Because it was making the word of God to none effect. Because that's what the Corbin of the Pharisees were doing. They were forcing their neighbors to pay in. So that they had the funds necessary to pay out. And take care of the needy, the blind, the widows, the orphans, the needy of society. But Jesus said that that's not living by faith, hope, and charity. That's living by force, fear, and fealty. Because when you sign up, you become subject. So, back to 1 John 2, 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, which would include, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods through any means whatsoever. That means the Ten Commandments goes on in, in, in emphasizing, by no means should you covet what belongs to your neighbor, desire what belongs to your neighbor. Create a system where you can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Because that's a covetous practice. And that will make you merchandise. And it also makes you not a keeper of the commandments. But churches all over the world say that's okay. Well, I just seemingly attacked your delusion. That everything's okay and there's nothing you have to repent of. 
But there is something you have to repent of. And those, are, I, I will, I will say these things and people will, uh, they'll react or not react, but it's kind of my job to do this, but there is a way to do this once you see this. Now, you can't go out and start yelling at people about this. You're casting pearls to swine if you've received this message that it's not okay. Corbin of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. And preachers are saying, no, it's okay to have the Corbin of the Pharisees. Have a system where you force the contributions through statute into governments that exercise authority. It's not okay. It will lead to your destruction, which we will see in Nahum. And many of the other prophets. Because this is a, this is the pit we keep falling back into. Well, my son, you know, when I, the piece of advice that I added to it, I'd already added something else, and maybe we'll get to it before the end of the show, uh, so that you understand it. But, uh, I added that you're not supposed to attack the people's delusion. They can't, they can't receive that. What's happened is people have, acted upon information given them by the news media and by governments and and the, the mouthpiece of the these government officials or these these people occupying these offices of power and the news media have got you to act upon something that is not rational or reasonable. And once you've done that, you can't go back. You've made a commitment you have invested in an idea that just isn't so and you've invested in it often with fear and anxiety and judgment and you tried to shame other people and now you cannot let go of the fact even though people are dying by the thousands you can't let go of the fact and you want to believe that what you believe to begin with is true Like the one surgeon I mentioned a week ago that was saying that all the cases in the hospital are the unvaccinated. That's not the case. That's not true. That is inaccurate. Somebody may have told him that, but that is not true. My son was just saying that it was was almost impossible to get certain data off the CDC site that he used to be able to get, but now they're not making it available. And it all has to do with the data coming in with COVID deaths and vaccine injuries. CDC is not putting that forth to government officials, to the chief health officer in our county. He he's he can't get to it. He could get to it, you know, a couple of months ago. He can't get to it now. Why? 80% of the people, this is reported, 80% of the people in Scotland who have died from COVID and the cases are going up, and it's not really from COVID. It's from some alternative strain that are dying from it. 80% of them are the vaccinated. Uh, other countries were seeing like hundreds of people in certain local areas that are dying from supposedly some sort of flu virus. And it's the vaccinated. And there's only a handful. What was it? One number was like eight who were supposedly the unvaccinated. And a lot of times they're counting unvaccinated as people who have not yet had the second shot and it's 14 days after that. Well, if you had the first shot, people are having a reaction to it. And then we have the studies that show this. So, But they won't believe it. 
know, uh, the data in one of the films that we shared with testimony is that uh, Israel was showing the vast majority of the people that were sick in Israel were the vaccinated, not the unvaccinated. And they gave a particular percentage. I can't remember what it is, but the last percentage I heard coming out of Israel was much, much higher. We're talking 70% of the people who are getting severely ill and then hospital, hospitalized with these flu viruses, with these respiratory difficulties, are the vaccinated, not the unvaccinated. It's the reverse of what they're trying to get you to believe. And when you, you show that, you show the data, to some of these people, they still won't believe it because they have already accepted something else as true and acted upon it. And that has a powerful effect. And we're going to get, that's part of this cognitive dissonance. But of course, we've acted upon the idea that it's okay to covet our neighbor's goods through the agency of government way back with people like FDR. And then compounded that idea with people like LBJ and Obamacare. All these things say that's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. You know, especially your rich neighbors. Force them to contribute. But it alters society. And we showed you philosophers and historians going back to Plutarch and Polybius who saw this way back thousands of years ago. That if you become accustomed to live at the expense of others, your neighbors... And the habit of receiving benefit by the rule of force. That you will degenerate yourselves mentally, spiritually, physically. And find once more a monarch and a king. And of course there are people out there who want to be your monarch and king. And want to be your ruler. So you you need to alter what is going on uh, in your life to free yourself of the delusion that what's going on in your life is okay. You, you will be subject to the despots of the world if you do not let go of your delusion. But I'm always told you not to attack the delusion. So, that's kind of my job to do that anyway because I have to speak to you about the whole truth. But my son, that would not be a good place for him to start that when he's talking to all the people of the county who are coming to listen to what he has to say about this this dramatic event in our county. Well, what I said is that we have to get people to act upon another idea. To sufficiently invest in another idea that is contrary to their delusion without telling them that they're under the strong delusion, without attacking their delusion. And he says, that's how I end my speech. Because <laughs> he sees. And so all I was was confirmation to him. So that's what Christ was doing. Why wasn't Christ attacking the Pharisees at the beginning? I mean, they were wary of him. They didn't trust him. They didn't trust John the Baptist, who said, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why was he out there in the desert saying this? The kingdom of God, that was in Jerusalem, wasn't it? That was in the temple. And he's saying, No, 
I, I, I'm not finding the kingdom of God in the temple by the fact that he was out in the wilderness. I'm finding the kingdom of God out here in the wilderness. I'm not finding Herod as the rightful king. And uh, he, nobody was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Herod Antipas wasn't sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Nobody sat on it. And that's what they were trying to find out. Who should sit on it? And of course, it was Jesus who would just sit on that throne. But he did not sit on that throne to rule over you, but return you to the way of righteousness. So, he just started preaching love, which is charity. Again, the word that he uses that's translated love is the same word that Paul uses that they translate charity. He was preaching to take care of one another, to love one another, to be charitable to one another, to help one another. Because that is the therapy for people under a strong delusion. It will facilitate your waking up to the truth and knowing what to do next. Because what to do next, there's going to be repercussions. There is already going to be repercussions of the shutdown. Tens of thousands of children are starving to death on a, a almost daily basis. One figure came out of the United Nations, 8,000 children died a day now from starvation because, in part, in a large part, because of the shutdowns, because it disrupted economies all over. And so those children in those poor countries are the canary in the coal mine. But it's coming here too. Today, or yesterday it was masks, now it's the vaccination, tomorrow, and now thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, they're, they're talking about over half of the people who keep the roads open in the wintertime are going to be gone. Uh, they don't have enough now to plow because many of them already quit because they won't get the vaccination. And they're coming up in October. There is supposedly the showdown. And the Kate Brown is saying she's just going to bring out the National Guard. Well, the National Guard, a lot of them are quitting because they don't want to take the vaccination. And there isn't enough engineers in the National Guard to take over the roads. So who's going to be doing it? You're going to have to get military guys from other countries in here. What What's going to happen? What's, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what needs to happen in the hearts and minds of the people. They need to think differently. They need to repent. They need to go another way. First John two, twenty two. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So what does that mean? That wouldn't be you, right? But is it you? Is it the people you're following? Is it the people you're listening to? We see a rise in that anti-religious, anti. But what is religion? But anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, anyway, that that article's up and on canon law, but I've also, like I said, I've, I've put up a number of other things uh, on the solution, which is uh, 
psychologically speaking, we have this cognitive dissonance. We cannot question that which we have already invested into and uh, and accept it as true. And uh, that is what brings about this cognitive dissonance, uh, which is you know, a serious, serious, serious problem today on many, many uh, levels. It's a disconnect so that we cannot see the truth. And so, since we're supposed to be talking about the truth and sharing with you the truth, uh, and people don't want to hear the truth, I mean, we could see this coming when, you know, suddenly men are women just because they think they are and and women are men just because they think they are, that uh, there is no truth. There's my truth and your truth. Well, no, there is truth. You can have your opinion about truth, and I can have my opinion about truth, but truth is truth. And so one of the things that I shared also, uh, somebody, uh, this this whole crazy thing, you know, where they, you know, you're supposed to wear masks that to prevent anybody else from getting sick. And of course, that isn't what is actually happening for a variety of different reasons. You're supposed to wear a mask because it's part of the the COVID cult that you belong to this new religion that believes in wearing masks and getting vaccinations. Of course, a lot of people believe in vaccinations to begin with. And there some immunity can be imparted by vaccinations, some vaccinations. There are very few actual, authentic, real vaccinations as it was once defined. And there's all kinds of different ones. And they have, they've had to take all kinds of them off the market because they've killed some people. Like I said, the swine flu, they took it off the market when 25 deaths were reported. We're getting 70 a day with this one being reported by people who have to fill out detailed information about what they're claiming. And the CDC should be jumping on that. And there should be autopsies in these cases where there's a question as to what actually killed them. What is it possible that the vaccine actually killed them? That's what they're suggesting by making the report because it was so immediately after they were injected. There should be an autopsy to find out what actually happened to that person. What, what, what caused their death? If it is the vaccine, we want to know that, right? If it is the shot, we want to know that, right? It's not happening. They're not doing it. Instead, you get these ridiculous reports. I want to hit people with a dope slap stick when I hear them say it. It says, well, anybody can file a VAERS report. (laughs) Can you? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to fill it out? Do you know what you have to do to fill it all out and file it? Do you know where to file it? So who's doing all this filing? Why are there thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of report of injuries and death? More so than with all other medications ever presented in the VAERS process. Is about, and, and yet they say, well, anybody could do that. That doesn't mean anything. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And then now we see the CDC putting that data behind the curtain. Where even even the health officers in the state can't look it up. 
What's the secrecy about? Meanwhile, we've never, ever, ever, ever forced a vaccination like they're doing where tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are going to lose their job, their livelihood to take a vaccination that is showing failure rates all over the world. You know, whenever they talk about, you know, breakthrough cases, that's failure cases. And they're increasing rapidly. We saw it in Oxford study. We saw it in Scotland. We saw it in a Japanese study. We saw it in the Israeli study. Uh, we, uh, it's, it was seen in, in places like Iceland, which is, you know, an isolated community where one of the most vaccinated communities in the world. They realize the vaccine's not doing it. As a matter of fact, they know they have to go to herd immunity through natural means and there is no other alternative. So why, why aren't people getting it? Which is why we put these things up. But anyway, what I shared with my son the other day is, uh, you know, I hate to quote the United Nations, but the United Nations, you know, there was a universal declaration of human rights and we've, that was written actually back in 1948-49, was ratified by most countries, including the United States, was signed anyway. I can't say ratified because it, it's not necessarily a binding law, but it was agreed to by the United States and most other countries. There were a few holdouts, but, and mostly for political reasons. But they also have a universal declaration of bioethics and human rights, which started, you know, way back at the time of the Nuremberg trials, etc. What, what are bioethics? What is ethical? What, what human rights do you have that they cannot ethically violate? Well, there's quite a few of them. There's over 20 of them in, in, in the, if you go to, his Holy Church, and uh, not, excuse me, you go to preparingyou.com and we have it up there where you can read it. And you just do a search for human rights. We have a page on human rights and then we have a page on, uh, what you want to look up is Universal Declaration. And the, you, you'll have a choice there of two. And one of them is on bioethics and one is just human rights. But the sixth one, has three sections in it. I'll just read the one section. It's about consent. It says, Any primitive, uh, preventive, diagnostic, or therapeutic medical intervention is only to be carried out with the prior free and informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. So, they can't do a nose swab. That's, that's diagnostic. They can't make you wear a mask. That's preventative. They can't take, make you take an injection. That's therapeutic. Medical intervention without informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. That's, that's what it says. It actually says more in that section. We're just dealing with the first section. It goes on. The consent should, comma, where appropriate, be expressed and may be withdrawn by the person concerned at any time and for any reason 
without disadvantage or prejudice. Now, what they're doing uh, with the memo, which we talked about in previous shows, is they're getting you to force these preventative diagnostic and therapeutic medical interventions on your neighbor or you won't do business with them. You will put them at a disadvantage. They can't get on your bus, your train, your airplane. You can't go into their restaurant. You can't can't go into their store. You can't even go into their bank. So you're putting your neighbor at a disadvantage. You're becoming prejudiced against your neighbor. You're spreading the hate. You know, we can choose to end hate, like the one guy said, by no longer teaching it. But we are teaching it. We're teaching it to each other. We're hating one another. We're dividing one another. Because some people have a twinge of conscience and don't want to go down a particular road of therapeutical treatment. They didn't want to wear the mask. They certainly didn't want a six-inch swab stuck up their nose. But you're doing it to each other. But you're accustomed to that. Because for the last 100 years... You've been coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. You've been forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education, your health care, your parents' care, your parents' social security. That's all paid for by forced contributions. Although with social security, you signed up or were signed up. And now it's to the point where you have to participate in such schemes, schemes of Corbin. Social security is... almost identical to the scheme of Corbin that Christ said was making the word of God to none effect. And I'm not telling you to give up your social security payment. I'm telling you to think differently. And that's what all these therapies for this cognitive dissonance do. They get you to think differently. And they almost all get you to think differently. They get you to act upon something so that you begin to see something you did not see before. Now, we, we don't have enough time now, but in, in our you know discussion of uh, psychological elements, which are actually almost physical psychological elements, because there's a physical portion to it, whether it be addictions, or things like capgras, we have articles on all these different things, you know, like uh, amputees, we've talked about this before, where amputee has an itch. He's, he doesn't have his right arm, but he has an itch in his right arm, and he can't, it, it pains him, or a pain in his right arm all the time. And it's extreme, but his right arm isn't there, so there's nothing he can do about it. He can't put any of these therapeutics on it. A guy just created a box with a mirror where you stick your your stomp in the box and your good arm in the box, and it but you're actually just looking at your left arm. But it looks like you have a right arm. And he says, think about opening and closing both hands at the same time. And of course, he's looking down and he's seeing the reflection of his left hand. As if it is his right hand. And there, So he sees the left and right hand opening and closing. 
and wiggle your fingers simultaneously and move your right finger and your left finger at simultaneously. And he's, and he's watching this in the mirror. He knows it's a mirror, but he's watching it. And while he's doing it, the pain goes away. It's just amazing somebody came up with this. But it actually worked. The guy had chronic pain for years and years and years, and now all of a sudden the pain goes away. But he takes his hand out of the box, and within a few minutes or an hour, the pain's back. So every day he comes, religiously, and he sticks at it. And he puts his hands, both hands in the box, and he does it. And the time period before the pain comes back gets longer and longer and eventually goes away entirely and never comes back. That, that was the therapeutic. Religiously exercising his hands in front of him so that he retrained his brain and the pain went away. Was the pain simply psychosomatic? No, well, no, you could say that, but it, w- it doesn't really matter. It was real pain and it's really gone now. What happened? Now, that's kind of a simple form of the therapeutic, but this is what we need to do, and this is what Christ was preaching. That you come, you've been tearing one another apart. You've been coveting one another's goods. You've been made merchandise. You belong to somebody else. Your children are in debt by trillions upon trillions of dollars. You're going to cry out to God to hear you, and he tells you over and over again in the biblical text, he's not going to hear you. Because you've looked to men who exercise authority for your daily ministration instead of the real church, which does not operate by exercising authority, but by operating in faith, hope, and charity, which is love. You haven't been doing that. You've been going to men who exercise authority, and so now this is what's brought about what we're now seeing. If you want to change that, you have to change the way you think. So you have to now... and. Come together for the purpose of Christ, in the name of Christ, in the character of Christ, to help others, that others might be saved. Not to save yourself, but to save others. Therapeutically, religiously come together and do that. Gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands every week. On a regular basis, come back and wiggle your little fingers together. In righteousness, seek you the kingdom of God in righteousness. To care for one another in a way that strengthens the poor. It will change your mind. It will open up your heart so that the Holy Spirit may come in and show you what to do in the next two weeks to flatten the new curve, whatever that is. The next two weeks that will become two years. Where will we be in two years? You could not have predicted we would be where we are today two years ago. But, you know, maybe when we get into Nahum, we'll show you how all this has been predicted before. And time and time again, once you understand the process, the gimmel, the cause and effect of the creation of God. So, that's your solution. Is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. Start caring for one another in a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. Just start. Every Invest in that idea of caring for one another. And you will 
God will put on the full armor of God. You have to remember the full armor of God is not your armor. It's the armor of God. You're not going to save yourself by your works. But we know you by your works. And we know the churches that are not doing what Christ commanded are not doing the works of Christ. And they are liars. Now, hopefully they will repent. We have to love them the same as we love our enemy. And this is, you know, people say, well, God loves me just as I am. But the love of God will be like a hot coals on those who are liars and not doing the will of God, but are actually workers of iniquity. The cause and effect will kick in in the universe, and you you will cry out to God, but he will say, go to the gods you have chosen for yourselves. Jesus is not, you know, if people want to say, well, you just have to say Yeshua. No, you have to speak in the character of Christ. In the spirit of Christ. It doesn't matter whether you say Yeshua or Jesus. I mean, if you want to say Yeshua, that's fine. You want to say Messiah instead of Christ, that's fine. But if you're not speaking with the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit that comes to save everyone. He, he, he came and sacrificed to save everyone. He did not come to condemn them. He did not really come to divide you. Yet he knew by coming in the faith of the Father and the Spirit of the Father, the people would be divided. And that pained him because he wanted them to be saved. And it pains me when people reject the ways of Christ for the ways of the world. But I still have to come in that name and say, no, you don't hate the enemy. You don't hate, you know, the, the, the politicians that are trying to force people to do this, that, and the other thing. Force the entire U.S. military to get this vaccination. I don't believe the entire U.S. military will get it. But I think, I, I know that I get, weekly I get reports of more and more officers resigning commissions, which is a big move, rather than take the vaccination. And uh, enlisted men, they don't have that opportunity, but they will be dishonorably discharged. Thousands upon thousands of employees, state troopers, uh, road workers, uh, people in businesses, uh, airplane pilots, because they know, you know, numerous airplane pilots who got the vaccinations have had, because they go into the high altitude and the different pressures that they deal with, they've had a tremendous problem with blood clotting. And and they're, you can keep it secret from the news, but people talk. I mean, they try to keep you even from talking. Wear a mask, don't talk to anybody. That's what the Australia, that lady is just wicked. <laughs> in Australia. Doesn't want you to talk to anybody, doesn't want you to gather, wants to control the amount of information you get, but all this is because we have not been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not because this lady is wicked. I hope she repents. I don't want to hate her. Did I sound like I was hateful when I said she's wicked? I'm just making an observation. Got a funny name. I can't remember it. 
I kind of, it's kind of, her name is almost an omen of who she is. But I still hope she repents. We can give her a new name. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, salvation is an individual thing. It's not a thing of your own imagination, which we will also see in our study of Nahum. I keep baiting you with that study of Nahum. Now, we've kind of started it, but we'll, we'll, we'll start it right from the beginning and we'll take you through. I still got more notes. I mean, it's a huge deal. I, I just see these layers and layers. And we're going to go into Nahum in layers and layers so that you can begin to read the other prophets yourself and begin to understand how this works. You know, my first book, The Covenants of the Gods, was written in a certain way to go back and forth between left brain and right brain. To try to do a process of awakening. It's, you're not being awakened by studying our material. But studying our material is a part of a journey that may bring you to being awakened. Because it's the Holy Spirit that shall awaken and dwell in you. That will show you what to do with the next crisis that they come up with. We are in crisis. We've been in crisis for a hundred years, for a thousand years. And uh, there's probably nothing that can stop it from coming to the world. People will die. People are dying now. People are suffering. People will suffer more. But you don't seek the kingdom of God to save yourself. You seek the kingdom of God to save others. Even if it's just your children. But you have to care about your neighbor's children as much as you care about your own children. And you're going to need the tools by which to do this. Which is the skill that is required for the perfect law of liberty. For that seeking the righteousness of God. Of being the government of God. Which is, according to Wycliffe Bible, is the government of the people for the people and by the people. But the difference is it's through charity. Through faith. To hope that you take care of one another. So that was going to be the last of his message uh, when he gives his speech today, my son, is that uh, we need to have to start to work together to take care of one another. I think one of the reasons why this county has been spared is it's one of the poorest counties in the state of Oregon is because of our remoteness. We have kind of a tradition of taking care of one another and helping one another. That's why we're in this little tiny rural county, we were able to create one of the largest rural fire departments, voluntary fire departments, in the United States. Because people volunteered. We have that tradition. But we've also been developing the tradition of exercising authority one over the other. And that's here too. And that's the real battle between righteousness and unrighteousness. It's not between, you know, you know, flu virus or not flu virus or vaccine or not vaccine or anything. This is simply the the ball in our court. But the real thing is kingdom of God or kingdom of the world. Like I say, all roads lead to Rome. And all roads lead to the kingdom of God. The question is what direction are you going? Are you following the way of Christ, which is a way of faith, hope, and charity? Are you taking care of one another? We're seeing the system breaking down. We've heard the rhetoric already. It usually comes first, where they're talking about 
not being able to get certain benefits. You s- already they got businesses depriving you of benefits. Uh, you can't get on our plane. You can't come into our store. You can't do that. You're going to have to have your vaccine passport. How far they will go with this, I don't know. But that's I know this. That's not the only tactic that they have in store for us. We put tremendous strain on the economic system, but why? Because we have no just weights and measures. We haven't had that for a hundred years, for a century. And it's become, you know, they outlawed gold. Uh, they confiscated the silver little bit by little bit. So you have nothing of value in your pocket. And most of what you have is digital entries. So, what's coming? doesn't matter if you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You'll know. So anyway, join us on the network. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start practicing the therapy of Christ. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God bless you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.